This is a Lodestar podcast created by MK and Associates and your host, Mike King. Our sponsor is Project 44, operator of the world's most trusted end-to-end visibility platform. E-commerce is where the gold lies for anyone involved in the global logistics and, and, and supply chains everywhere. We think that e-commerce will continue to, to grow. And it's, it's just changing the way that retailers operate too. I think we're in the early stages of this. I honestly believe that international e-commerce fulfillment is gonna really fuel overall air cargo demand for the next five to 10 years. Hello, I'm Mike King, and this is a Lodestar podcast deep dive. And today we're looking at e-commerce and specifically what the rise of e-commerce means for global supply chains and the strategies of the biggest players in those markets. The good thing about e-commerce is that it's straightforward to define. It's something we all understand. It's the buying and selling of goods online. In the world of logistics, shipping and freight, the rise of international e-commerce has been heralded as a game changer, more or less since we all started buying and selling things on the internet. It would, we were told, empower consumers and supercharge globalization and trade. And certainly, e-commerce has been steadily chipping away at the market share of bricks and mortar retail outlets. But COVID-19 lockdowns have proven something of a tipping point, or maybe let's call it an accelerant. An accelerant in terms of both demand, but also in how retailers see their supply chains and omni-channel strategies, and how the world's largest freight shipping and parcels companies are positioning themselves for further e-commerce growth. But we'll come back to that. Firstly, what exactly changed over two years of pandemic lockdowns, particularly in the big consumer markets of Europe and the Americas? We as consumers, we want our uh, e-commerce. I mean, when we shop online, we want the stuff fast. That's a big difference right there. So we want it fast. And we wanted it fast even during the pandemic. And that created a lot of problems because, you know, again, COVID going through the population, hitting supply chain workers as well, created issues as far as the deliveries themselves. That was Kathy Robeson, president of Logistics Trends and Insights. As she points out, During the pandemic, we still expected e-commerce to work as we've been taught by Amazon in particular. That is almost instantly or as soon as possible. The big change these last two years was that consumers started focusing far more of their spending power on products and goods rather than on services as we were all locked down. Restaurants and holidays were out, so we bought jacuzzis, DIY merchandise and exercise equipment. But it wasn't just consumers who adapted. Retailers also had to make changes, changes that are likely to remain part and parcel of our retailing experience for years to come. Over to Tom Enright, VP for retail supply chain at Gartner. The pandemic forced a lot of people who previously didn't shop online at all or very much to start doing so. And many of those behaviors, according to lots of surveys, uh, will be retained by the vast majority of customers. So. The COVID forced people to try something new. They quite like the experience and they will carry on using it probably at a higher level than they did previously. I think what's also happened during COVID was 
because stores were closed for so long, companies had to find new ways to get products into the hands of consumers. So the ability to pick up a, a product in a drive-through method outside a store that was closed gave people the idea of saying, well, I might use that again going forward. Now, even when stores reopen, the notion of picking it up at the curb is something that people will continue to use. And we've seen retailers quite rapidly adjust their supply chains to use stores more as a kind of fulfillment center rather than just relying on distribution centers as they had done in the past. So we haven't seen, or do we expect to see a kind of an elastic effect where everything just bounces back to where it was pre-COVID. The ramifications of these profound changes in consumer behavior and how retailers satisfy it will, of course, become central to the procurement strategies of supply chain planners in the years ahead. But let's just turn back slightly. Let's see what those numbers look like in terms of e-commerce growth globally during the pandemic. Back to Enright. COVID had a big knock-on effect onto the growth of, of e-commerce. If we look globally, say 2019, there's a number of different statistics out here, but most of them agree that about 13% of what people bought in 2019 globally was purchased online. And that number varies by country. China clearly miles ahead of virtually everybody else. Um, lots of countries that you wouldn't necessarily think would be very strong in growth, such as Switzerland, Canada, Sweden, you know, all, all booking above the average. Where we are now, 2022, most projections look at about a 7% increase to about 20% or so of, of total sales will take place online. And more or less over the next period of four or five years, that will increase by about 1% per year. So we could be looking at a quarter of global retail sales taking place online by, by 2025. That huge jump in demand for products during the pandemic of course, had a severe impact on supply chains, as we all know, and also procurement strategies, whether you're looking at the Midwest, Central Europe or Central China. We all wanted our goods and we wanted them now. And that combination, just as global shipping and air freight were thrown into disarray by rolling lockdowns, loss of capacity and unprecedented disruption, proved a heady and chaotic combination, as we've been covering on Lodestar podcast this past year. But let's just look at warehousing, if we may. As all of this was playing out, capacity shortages became clear, especially in Europe and the US. These were made worse by lack of workers due to illness or because workers simply preferred jobs that allowed them to work from home without needing to endure long, hard hours under socially distanced conditions. This has been called the great resignation by some and has helped speed the adoption of robotics and other technologies. Robeson believes there has been a dramatic and lasting shift in how warehouses fit into supply chains. As far as the location of the warehouses, oh my gosh, the more the merrier. It's basically the theme here. So the closer you can get to the customer or to the store or both, the better off you're going to be in the e-commerce world. And we see a lot of retailers redoing their distribution networks. It used to be you were pretty much golden if you had four warehouses, you know, one for the Northeast, one for the Southeast, Midwest, and then the West. Now you need a lot more just simply for that constant inventory replenishment that's necessary for e-commerce because you don't want to be out of stock. 
the closer you can get to the customer, the faster that delivery will be. And that at the end of the day is the most important thing. Speed is important when it comes to e-commerce logistics. Of course, this rise in the importance of warehousing is aligned with the need to get last mile deliveries out quickly and accurately to meet the demands of consumers, which has become a key differentiator for retailers. So as the demands on last mile delivery increased, so did the number of companies eyeing this growing market. Last mile is changing because the costs have gone up significantly from our friends at UPS and FedEx. And we're seeing more new entrants into the market. These are very tech-based that are focused on crowdsource delivery services. Retailers are offering various last mile options. You see more and more 3PLs get involved. I mean, our friends at Seiko Logistics, for example, they offer a last mile option. They've partnered with regional small parcel carriers and local couriers. More 3PLs, freight forwarders uh, as well, they're getting involved in e-commerce more and more from either managing a cross-border e-commerce solution or helping with that last mile or the warehousing aspects. So everyone's really involved now. Lee Klaskow, Senior Analyst for Transportation and Logistics at Bloomberg Intelligence, said the rate of adoption of e-commerce by consumers during the pandemic had brought forward Bloomberg's growth forecast by between two to five years. Like Cathy, he also notes it spared investment in technology. That increased penetration has created a bigger focus on last mile and on not only last mile, but call it the Amazonification, if I guess that's probably a word somewhere, of people expecting to see their shipments in real time and, and when it gets here. So that's been increasing the technology investments by a lot of transportation companies, whether it's a truckload, less than truckload carrier, or uh, some of the parcel carriers, you know, you're seeing them making uh, big investments and even the railroads because their customers are getting used to that kind of interaction. But there's been a, a real focus on, I think the final mile, uh, you know, you had a, a trucking company here in the U.S., Werner recently by a final mile co company, they're all looking to kind of take advantage of, of these trends. And, and that's just technology is going to be key, not only for people to track their packages, but to make sure that everything, every shipment is being uh, delivered in the most cost-effective and efficient manner possible. This is a Lodestar podcast. Created by MK and Associates and your host, Mike King. Our sponsor is Project 44, operator of the world's most trusted end-to-end -end visibility platform, which tracks more than 1 billion shipments annually for over 1,000 of the leading brands, including top companies in manufacturing, automotive, retail, life sciences, food and beverage, and oil, chemical, and gas. Using Project 44, shippers and carriers across the globe drive greater predictability resiliency and sustainability. But of course, this is not just about the last mile and warehousing. This is about retailers finding a way to maintain control of their supply chains. And as e-commerce was on the rise, so too was disruption, whether you're talking about inland logistics, shipping or air freight. And 
two years on from the start of the pandemic, all those modes are still struggling for capacity. Plus, we have war in Europe, more COVID lockdowns in China, persistent port congestion almost everywhere else. All of this makes meeting the stratospherically high expectations of consumers all the more difficult. Everyone from Amazon to Alabama, UPS to Maersk, are, however, positioning themselves to plug into this growing market. Parcel companies are becoming freight companies. Container lines are investing in air cargo and last mile. And all this is the biggest retailers are increasingly finding they need to control their own supply chains or find transport partners who can help them do so, as Gartner's Enright notes. I think for those really big players, it's all about taking control of as much of the supply chain as possible. Even that big company by UK standards, someone like John Lewis, I mean, they were chartering their own ships back in September to secure product to come in in time for Christmas. And so, you know, companies have found a way in which they can extend outside of their normal span of control and, and take a greater element as well. So, you know, I guess the, the older, more established model of this will be the likes of Zara, who are very vertically integrated right through manufacturing and distribution and, and owned a lot of that network themselves. We're now going to start seeing that happen as well in terms of freight and distribution. And Amazon have been doing that for quite some time now in terms of, you know, weaning off their need for for partners and U.S. Postal Service and FedEx and, and starting their own operation up. So yeah, taking control, I think is going to be the, uh, the, the key phrase that we're going to see. And of course, as is so often the case in business, the need to find new solutions is also leading to new profit centers. I think the longer term goal is for companies who have very mature supply chains that they control a lot of mm. to essentially allow other organizations to use those supply chains. So once you build up that capability, uh, you can either keep it for your own benefit or you can start to make money out of it. And the supply chain as a service concept that we've seen emerge recently that we believe will, will carry on. So you're going to get bigger and bigger, more powerful companies who are doing more than they do today, but also using that as a way of consolidating the, the availability of supply chain for others. And even in that small example you know we never expected to see a day when walmart will be delivering home depot products in the us but that's now starting and walmart have got their go local initiative which is a consolidation method for other retailers as well so that's certainly an area that is not just going to go away it's, it's going to grow over time but there's only so many companies who've got the clout to be able to make that happen but the bigger ones will be able to rent those services essentially to the smaller ones, and that helps companies accelerate their growth much more quickly than if they try to do it organically on their own. But what does this mean for the future of freight and parcels as we hopefully move beyond COVID-19? Something of a free-for-all for those trying to win market share for end-to-end -end international e-commerce shipments. Expect more disruption is the view from Enright. So I think we're, we're going to see a much wider variety of shipping methods being used. Um, there's a fragmentation effect. We've certainly seen an increase in direct shipping to consumers from overseas vendors. And some of those vendors will manage the fulfillment, the transportation service, local customs, procedures, duties, taxes, all of that kind of stuff. So a kind of an international door-to-door -door service, if you like, with vendors who are prepared to take all of those activities on. We're also going to see 
companies that have sufficient volume will start to consolidate orders and, and ship in bulk. That way they'll benefit from lower transportation costs. Yeah, at the moment, lower transportation costs, a bit of a misnomer, but there will be possibilities to reduce them through better consolidation. We've seen companies like Woolworths in Australia, uh, American Eagle Outfitters in the US, offering kind of supply chain as a service activities to other retailers and, and even buying freight companies. So that line between who's a retailer and who's a 3PL, that's going to start softening a little bit. But th there's also complexity, you know, we have international sellers that, that don't have representation in the country of, of destination, and that will potentially lead to companies trying to manage shipping activities for which they don't have a great deal of expertise that could produce delays, duty liabilities, added VAT, et cetera. So there's a number of trapdoors that are potentially going to come into, into play, but we, we certainly do see that there will be this significant disruption probably going on for the next couple of years, I would say, before things stabilize. So what next for e-commerce? In terms of how it's changing the world of freight logistics, well, here our experts differ. For Bloomberg's Lee Glasgow, the only way is up. We think that, you know, the e-commerce will continue to, to grow and it's, it's just changing the way that retailers operate too. A lot of retailers are maybe having more inventory on hand at the local store because they're using the local stores as fulfillment and using third parties to deliver those goods. And, and so there's just a really a kind of big shift in supply chain that are focused on that final mile and the ability to get something to a consumer within 24 hours from the time they click buy. Gartner's Tom Enright, while bullish, expects some degree of a correction, but continued growth. The growth projections are still positive, but they're not going to be at the stratospheric levels that we saw during 2020, 2021. You know, the psychologists will tell you that we're still social creatures and we still like the idea of going shopping. Um, doesn't mean that we always want to sit at home and order everything online. So it, it's not ex it's not unexpected to see that bounce back. But as I say, because people have experienced new ways, they'll start to blend those with their old ways of working. That will produce a significant amount of e-commerce growth, but obviously not at the levels we've seen before. Jason Miller, Associate Professor of Logistics at the Department of Supply Chain Management at Michigan State University, Eli Broad College of Business, is something of an outlier. He believes that the impact of COVID on e-commerce has seen a major shift in how retailers look at their supply chain models, but he thinks some of the projections about growth have been slightly overblown and not justified by the hard data. Yeah, so the way I think about it is this. The vast majority of retail sales is still done in a brick and mortar setting. Where I think the pandemic has actually moved us the most is so many retailers sped up their omni-channel adoption. So, you know, buy online, pick up in store, buy online, curbside pick up in stores. And so I think that that's where we've seen such a movement taking place. The one thing we actually saw in the data right now, they run through the third quarter of 2021, but actually e-commerce sales as a percentage of total retail sales have actually been going down since the height of sort of the initial wave of the pandemic. And so we have seen some evidence of people going back to the stores more, which helps explain at least in the US why the 2021 holiday season went off 
pretty smoothly, I think much more smoothly than many folks expected. And so what we did is we kind of baked in like three years of growth of e-commerce into about a two-year period. And so what the data suggests we're going to be doing is we're heading back to the long-term trend line where we were at. We just sped it up a year. Neil Jones-Shaw, Flexport Executive Vice President and Global Head of Air Freight, believes the impact of e-commerce demand during the pandemic has fundamentally restructured air cargo markets and will dictate future international demand. I think we're still at the very, very early stages of international e-commerce fulfillment. You see right now the big eco players, they are expanding the amount of capacity that they are taking on an exponential basis, right? And, and we're still in the very early days. And when you look at the big, you know, you look at Alibaba, you look at Amazon, as they look to deliver the same sort of uh, same day, one day, two day, three day sort of uh, delivery standard that they have in the U.S. for every SKU they sell to international markets, the amount of demand that they're going to create is going to be off the charts, right? And these guys are growing their own dedicated fleets at a very, very rapid pace. They're getting into much larger gauge aircraft that have international capabilities. So I think we're in the early stages of this. I, I honestly believe that international e-commerce fulfillment is going is going to really fuel overall air cargo demand for the next five to 10 years. Uh, I, think, I think the trends are strong. And everything I see is they're just full speed ahead. The shift of some container lines, most notably Maersk and CMA CGM, to redefine themselves as logistics integrators rather than port-to-port -port service providers has rapidly accelerated during the pandemic. This has been helped by huge windfall profits, which has allowed a slew of investments. Peter Sand, chief analyst at Zenita, believes the willingness of some carriers to take on their forwarder customers is born from the conviction that the demands of e-commerce are creating new shipping challenges that can only be satisfied by the provision of global end-to-end -end supply chain footprints. Why are carriers spending all their windfall profits now on wider logistics? Why do they go end-to-end -end offerings also? Why do they go into the traditional turf of freight forwarders? Because e-commerce is here to stay and then some. There's a there's a bigger reshuffling going on right now, and we are only seeing the the early parts of it uh, to to the extent of at least how I foresee things to develop. According to Sand, even though carriers have been down the path of setting up their own logistics arms in the past, this time is different. Not least because the rise of e-commerce is empowering demand direct from consumers. This is forcing adaptation on the world's leading shipping lines and 3PL's forwarders and everyone else in the logistics ecosystem. And of course, where there's profit, there'll be a scramble, a battle royale, so to speak. We can go back several decades to see an ocean uh, freight market that has perhaps not developed that much. We have seen ships getting bigger. We have seen trade lanes being shuffled around in different manners. We have seen say fully automated terminals, etc. But the real trick here is that that demand is coming directly from the consumers, not necessarily the big retailers only. Trust me on this one, there will still be massively big retailers. The BCO giants will, will still have huge business to uh, to place with the, with the key carriers of, of the world. But there's a reason for the carriers to spend the windfall profits on end-to-end -end logistics right now, e-commerce is where the gold lies going forward for anyone. 
uh, involved in the global logistics and, and, and supply chains everywhere. I'd like to thank my editing team, the amazing Karen, Ball and Tom Matthews. Big thanks also to our sponsors, Project 44. And gratitude to you all, of course, for taking the time to listen. We'll be back soon.